Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. I am Johnny. He is Andy. We have so many things to talk about. A, a resurgent question mark Ohio State men's basketball team. Uh, we've got the wrestling team dealing with some, some, they're grappling with their opponents. That's Turn it off right now. Turn the podcast off right now. <laughs> is this Rick? thing on? Anyone? Oh Anyone? my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. So they're grappling with their Big Ten opponents uh, in Penn State. We'll talk about that. More Cardell news from the XFL. Always fun. And, of course, ask us anything. We have to start off with some news that broke the night that the Dubcast went live last week, which is, uh, as you know, uh, Reapin went, um, you know, getting arrested for rape, sexual assault, those kind of things. Uh, There isn't a whole lot that we can add to it, I think that hasn't already been said our website obviously has covered it extensively we're the ones who broke the story um and i think at this point i mean to me this is something that is obviously horrific and horrible and i hope that this is just done in a you know like judicial manner a judicious manner right and in a way that's fair um going forward but as far as ohio state goes i think they handled it well and i think they were right to be on it as quickly as they were. So other than that, I, you know, we can talk X's and O's maybe a little bit later. And, and, but now for now, I think the only real takeaway that I can add to it that hasn't already been said is that I think Ohio state handled it. Well, I think they did what they needed to do. They did it quickly. And that's what you want to see. I think there's something to be said for whenever a story like this pops up, I, I think about like previous cases that are are similar or whatnot i'll take this back to the you know florida state Jameis winston and you know it seemed like the university and the police department and the da's office all conspired to just sort of make that go away um you know in a similar accusation series of events man what a contrast ohio state more or less the next day cuts ties um says this is not something we want as part of our program now you could be a super cynical SOB and say, well, if it had been the starting quarterback and uh, instead of a, a couple other maybe mid or upper mid-tier players and in positions that aren't as critical as starting quarterback, would it have been different? I like to think, no, Ryan Day is showing us that he's going to be a man of principle and he's going to act decisively and say, hey, you know what? This isn't who we are, and regardless of how the legal system plays out, we have certain expectations of the character of our program, and this is what they look like. Yeah, and and look, the accusations, like I said, are horrific. Um, you hope, I mean, in one sense, you hope that they're not true, just because you wouldn't want that to happen to anyone. But Correct. either way, yeah, either way, I want justice to be served, and I want it to be done in a judicious, you know. <laughs> like intentional way i want this not to be just kind of half-assed and covered up and i just haven't seen that it looks like by all parties involved it's been done really professionally and that's that's what you want to see when something like this happens yeah and and i think there's something to be said because there's there's a vocal part of any fan base that you know is going to come up and say well what about what about what about sure time out hit, hit the brakes here's the thing even if like you say regardless of how the legal part of it plays there's there's something to be said for saying we want men of character and and men who are not going to put themselves into position where you could even ask a question gosh did this happen you know right. there's there's the whole idea that you know we we want you to be tucked into bed as, as uh jim Tressel and woody hayes would have said nothing good happens after 10 o'clock at night you know we want you to be snug at home in your bed and studying for tomorrow's midterm or whatever it happens to be like there's a 
there's a character and culture component of that, um, right, right, wrong, or otherwise, there will be people that would criticize me for saying that even. Uh, so I, I don't have a problem at all. I think Ohio State did the right thing in saying, sorry, guys, you know, you're, you're yeah. on your own. I mean, we can have a larger conversation about like consent and things like that. I think that's maybe a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast. But look, no means no, and consent can be withdrawn at any point in time in an encounter. And, and the more people period learn end that, of story and that, yeah, yeah, period exactly. end of story. And the more people learn that, I think the better our society will be off in general. Um, so that's it's sad. It sucks. Uh, it will obviously be continued to reported on by us as we move forward. I want to talk a little bit about the men's basketball team. So. <laughs> They come back. We've got a team that I now there. I believe they're they're five and one on their last six. So who saw that good. coming? I did not. I don't think anyone did. Here's my question to you, Andy. Do are you a believer yet? Do you believe that this team, which could very well be ranked right coming up here soon, um, and as of the recording, you know that by the time someone listens to this, they may be ranked. My question to you is: Are you a believer in the hype when they play Iowa? Are you expecting them? To a team of equal record, do you expect them to handle them or beat them yeah, uh, going forward as an indicator that they are going to go on and do some things in March? Yeah, to me, that's the that's the real, you know, kind of the, the next test. And I don't want to go through the rest of the season and be like, well, right. if they do this, and you just kind of keep moving that goal post, I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed. It. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super impressed that they've made it five out of those six, and it felt like some of those games were kind of must win. Um, yeah. I, I was looking – Today, I think uh, Kyle Rowland posted that Ohio State's now back up to number nine in Ken Palm, which is, you know, one spot behind Maryland is 21 and four, you know, one spot ahead of Michigan State, two spots ahead of Penn State, three spots ahead of Louisville. So so with Ken Palm um, and, and, you know, I get geeked out about these analytical systems as anybody who listened through football season and my love affair with SP plus can, can imagine. I, I like Ken Palm too. So that means Ken Palm's got Ohio state finishing 21 and 10, which would be 11 and nine in conference. You know, that's not a bad finish the way January, February, you know, January went for this team. Uh, I, I think, I think maybe I'd take that, you know, 21 and 10 overall, because remember, you know, you got to go back to the Thad Mata era, era 20 wins was the benchmark, right? You know, yeah. that was the, that was the calling card at the end was, oh, he had 47, 20 win seasons, right? So if we're using that as the barometer, you get to 21 and 10, I, I got to say it's a success. Uh, I, I'm eager to see how things shake out with Iowa, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready to tentatively be back on the train. I think Johnny. Yeah. I, to me, I got to see what happens at Iowa and, and, you know, okay. So let's say you get to 21 and 10. That means essentially that they go what four and two or the last six. Their last six, they're playing Iowa, which is ranked 21st. They got to play Maryland, obviously ranked ninth. Nebraska is not going to be a super big challenge for them, I don't think, at this point in the season. But then they got Michigan, Illinois, and Michigan State. I, you know, four and two seems optimistic to me when when that kind of shakes out. So I don't know that that's really something that they're going to get to. I believe at this point they're probably going to be in the NCAA tournament unless they completely just crap their pants and just lose all of these games. Um, but I, I got to see how they play against Iowa. They looked really good defensively against Purdue. Against Purdue, which is a team that I think, granted, you have to, to acknowledge that they have been really, really great as a shooting team and also really, really terrible as a shooting team throughout the season. Um, Ohio State had a really great defensive game against them. 
And, you know, when you're struggling to get points sometimes, when you're not making easy layups and you're just doing dumb things, you know, I think, I forget, I think it might've been like, uh, it might've been CJ. I can't remember who did it, but it was this ridiculous behind the back, you know, kind of like dribble pass thing that he was, it's, you got to clamp down on really dumb crap like that. But if you can do that and you're, you know, your defense is doing what it needs to do. You've got a shot against pretty much anybody, I think, with the overall talent that they have on the team. 16 turnovers is still stupid. Um, but you have a core there where I think you can compete with at least the Iowas of the world and hopefully maybe with the Maryland's of the world. But we'll we'll see. To me, I really just I need to see the proof in the pudding on the 20th. That's that's what I'm waiting for right now. The fact that it's at Iowa, you know, is it adds a yeah. Adds a degree, not that, uh, you know, the shots, this, uh, you know, stifling environment as we've often sure. talked about, but in this, in the stretch, you know, where they were five and one. Okay. So you had Indiana at home. That was, that was good. Um, you know, R- Rutgers was at home. Purdue was at home. Um, what was the best road win there? I guess, you know, at Ann Arbor, you'd say that was the, you know, a three point win at Michigan. That was the the best road win of that, of that five and one stretch. So if you can go and do that at Iowa, then, hey, you know, it's time to buy stock at that stage. Because after that, I mean, you're, you're right. That's not a, it's not a super easy. Uh, so in the Maryland, you'd say, okay, yeah, that's the, that's the toughest one. But if you get Iowa, then I feel better about Illinois at home uh, to close. I, I mean, go ahead and chalk Michigan State up. I, I, I just don't see that. I just sure. don't see that happening. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting down the stretch. Three and three, I don't think is terrible. Four and two, yeah, maybe that's optimistic. But three and three is not a it's not a terrible expectation if they pick up this next one. I well, feel a lot see, better if if they can pick up if they can pick up Iowa. Then I feel a lot better about three and three as as a realistic shot. And the other reason why Iowa is such a big deal is because you've got to deal with Garza, right? Luca Garza is just dominant and and a oh, guy yeah. who can do pretty much anything. I mean, you know, obviously he's. I don't know. The guy, in my opinion, is one of the best players in, in, in America. But that's the thing. You know, if you're playing really good team defense, right, and you're playing a team in Iowa that really, I mean, they have had some games where, yeah, okay, Luke will get them like 38 points, right, against Indiana, still mm-hmm. lose the game. Yeah. Um, you know, 26 against Purdue, still lo- by a lot, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, if you're really going to be a team that leans hard on your defense, you've got to make him not a non-factor. That's not going to happen, but you've got to make it so that Iowa can't get anything else. Um, And that will show me that you're able to compete with the likes of like say Maryland or Michigan state. And I don't know that they're going to win those games, but again, how they perform against Iowa on the road against a really good player, um, I think is going to go a long way to show what they'll might be able to do in March. Cause, cause that's ultimately what this is all about. And, and I think at this point, they're pretty well set for NCAA uh, tournament, maybe eight, nine seed, but you know, I want to know how well they're going to be able to do uh, when the chips are really down. And, and hopefully we see a second weekend. I, I think that's still in the play. I, I think that's still in the cards. I think they can still do it. They just have to show the kind of consistent improvement they've made over the last six games. Here's the other thing. I, I just, I can't get over how good the Big Ten is as a basketball conference this season, case in point. So here you have Ohio State, 500 in the conference, overall record of 17 and 8. You go up to Michigan State, who I think we all agree is a pretty darn good basketball program, sure. 9 and 6 in the conference, overall record, 17 and 9. You know, so yeah. 
<laughs> 17 and 9, 17 and 8. I mean, it's, it's, it's really similar overall record, right? And we'd say Michigan State's much better 9 and 6 in the conference. Okay, here's the other thing. Ohio State, in the early part of the season, beat Penn State by what? 100 points? Right. <laughs> Penn State's on an 8-game win streak and are 20 and 5 overall, and people are talking about them as legitimate Final Four contenders. And it's like, wait, what? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> when, when when did that when did that happen? Right. It's, it's just crazy. So you, you've got you know Maryland and Penn State both on these just eight game win streaks. Um, you know Sparty does Sparty things, and you know here what? Geez, Rutgers is nine and six in the conference, but Ohio State handled them. So you you know you just say this conference is really really tough, uh, and. I, it's really kind of wild to watch. Ohio State could be right back in this thing, depending on how this uh, those next couple of games go. Yeah, and that's the other thing. You watch these games, right? You watch these Ohio State men's basketball games, and you see them do just the dumbest stuff, and you're like, "How is this team still in it?" Right? With the with the men- mental mistakes that they make, the dumb dumb plays that occur probably like every third time down the court, and yet they have a ton of talent. They play really good defense and maybe not always great defense, but at least they play hard Um, and they have the talent to make teams sweat. And so I just I don't know. This is a fascinating stretch. You've got six games left. Hopefully, if you can go four and two, that would be amazing. I don't necessarily see it, but I am definitely willing to be surprised. And then, of course, you go into the Big Ten tournament and then who knows? I mean, people didn't necessarily expect. Uh, Holtman to be able to take his teams in the second game uh, mm-hmm. two years in a row. And granted, that's not like a huge accomplishment. We're not singing his praises for, you know, managing to get out of the first round. Uh, but I, I don't know. I feel like expectations right now are kind of the same. So I want to see at least one NCAA tournament win at this point. That's where my expectations are. That's yeah. what I want to see from this team. And if they get to get to the second weekend, that would be kick ass. I would love that. Right now, if they get one win, I'll be happy with that. Considering the turmoil that this team has been dealing with since basically the middle of December, uh, I'd that I'd be a happy camper and I'd be fine with it. Yep. Same. So, sign me up. Sign me up for that. What What I find really interesting, I thought uh, uh, my man David had a really nice piece at Eleven Warriors over the weekend talking about this kind of sneaky, quiet five and one stretch that probably gets yeah. them back into the top twenty five, and and it was fun you know, looking through and saying, okay, how did they get there? We've been talking, you know, all, all kind of winter long here. It feels like about shooting and and where scoring come from, you know, Andre Wesson racked up a double, double against Rutgers, you know, Luther Muhammad's now had at least nine points in three straight games. I mean, there's been some really interesting things that have happened to get them there. Um, you know, Washington's hit some nice shots and still some, crazy shot selection questions that you could ask. I I'm hopeful, I guess I'm back to being cautiously optimistic here as we get into the, the shank yeah. of the schedule and not a bad place to be. I mean, honestly, given everything that's come before, I'm, I'm cool with that. So hopefully they continue and, and we'll see what happens against uh, Iowa on the 20th. Let's get into your forte. We, this is, this is kind of fascinating to me because you talked about uh, Penn state and, and kind of, the flux that they're dealing with right now and how college wrestling in general doesn't look quite the same as it has the past several years. Uh, Ohio state plays Penn or they, they wrestle against Penn state and this duel does not go Ohio state's way, but 
I would say there's one, I think, large negative to take away from it, uh, which is a number one going down, and then one very large positive to take away from it as well, which is our good friend Gas Tank put in work. So what summarize this this event for us because I feel like there's a lot to take you know away. Yeah, there was uh there was a really good I, I gotta give hats off to one of our one of our commenters and and I wanna give a hat I want to give a shout out to the community in general, you know, and and my story I guess as a member of the Eleven Warriors community starts as random Joe commenter, you know, I'm just, uh, <laughs> Same. A, well, I mean, literally, so literally a friend of a friend of a friend kind of scenario introduced me to 11 warriors. Um, you know, somebody I went to high school with worked with Jason in Chicago. And she said to me one day, Hey, have you, um, ever heard of this site, 11 warriors, you should follow it. They've got really good writing. And, and I know you're a big Buckeye fan. And, you know, so I start out just more or less as a, as a bar fly in the comments. And, you know, then eventually joined the mod squad and, and now covering the team. But so we have this great community of folks. There, there are a number of commenters who really know the sport of wrestling and follow this team and provide great insights. Um, and then there's this growing community of people who have gotten behind the sport, either because, you know, 11 Warriors has introduced them to wrestling uh, or, you know, they're just huge Ohio State fans and whatever it is that Ohio State's doing, I, you know, I want to be supportive of it. And so the community's really grown the number of people who who are interested in the sport. But um, one of one of our writers, BD, uh, or our commenters, BDHOF, had a had a nice um, had a really nice summary, I think, on, in, in last night's recap, uh, or, or I should say uh, Saturday night's recap. And, and he called it the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I thought that was a pretty nice way <laughs> to describe it, you know, because there were some good things that happened in the duel, some bad things that happened in the duel. The, the worst thing that happened in the duel was Luke Fletcher, number one in the country at 141 pounds, losing uh, his first match of the season. He and Colin Moore were both undefeated going into that duel. Colin comes out undefeated and finishes the regular season with a perfect 24-0 record, where Fletcher will finish 23-1 and after number two Nick Lee hands him uh, – an eight to four decision. Now, Nick Lee, you know, is a legitimate NCAA finalist. He he probably will meet up with Pletcher again somewhere along the way. I would say there's a good chance they're seated one and two at both the Big Ten and NCAA tournaments. Um, Lee probably will will have the one seed in both tournaments now. Uh, should say he'll have the one in the Big Ten tournament if Pletcher avenges this loss and wins the Big Tens. Then you know it'll probably flip back and Pletcher would be um, right. the top seed going into the NCAA tournament. But the, the thing with Penn State and Ohio State over the past, you know, we'll call it five seasons because this is now uh, five years in a row where Penn State's won the dual meet regardless of, of what happened in the postseason, Penn State just finds a way. So this this duel came down five matches for Ohio State, five matches for Penn State, you know, so you'd say, okay, that's pretty well split down the middle. But what happened is Ohio State's wins were almost all decisions. Um, you had a major decision from Colin Moore in his match at 197. But where things kind of went off the rails for the Buckeyes were Ethan Smith um, falls to Vincenzo Joseph by a major decision. So that's four points instead of three on the team score. Yeah, the same thing at 184. Rocky Jordan drops a major decision to Aaron Brooks. So again, four points in the team score instead of three. So those are up to what we would call bonus points if you're not 
you know, completely versed in wrestling team scoring. Right. The, the big one that hurt was Mark Hall, who is a former NCAA champion, number two in the country at 174, um, pinning Caleb Romero 46 seconds into the match. So that's six points yeah. in the team score. So those three matches combined, you know, are basically five bonus points for Penn State. And so you look at the final margin of victory, Penn State wins the duel by four points. So without those bonus points, you know, Ohio State needed to win an extra match. So if Luke Pletcher wins that match at 141, that's basically a six-point swing, right? So you take three points off Penn State score and put three points onto Ohio State score. <clears throat> so you finish up there 19 to 17, Ohio State wins the duel. So you could say, okay, that was the difference. Or you could come back and say, hey, you know, these three guys, if they all three don't lose bonus points, you know, there's five points. You take those five points off the board. All three of those guys lose a basic decision and Ohio State wins at 16-15. Right. So somebody somebody looking at, you know, your write-up and they, they see, you know, all the decisions and, and all the results and how that happened. And they look at 174 and they see that there was a fall in 46 seconds. What happens there? What What happens with the wrestler when – relatively evenly matched guy. I know, I know that, you know, Hall is a former NCAA guy, but you know, what happens where something can just turn on its ear so quickly in a match like that? Because I think a lot of guys, especially at the heavier weights, expect those to be longer drawn out matches where it just goes the full time. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what happened. Mark Hall does this. So Mark Hall, he's a guy that he hits a move, they call the cement mixer and he, he just does that. You know, like it's, it's yeah. not the first time it's happened. Um, so in, in theory, it's one of those things, some of it, and, I, and I'm not talking specifically about the Romero match here, but people remember miles Martin getting pinned in an NCAA final by a Penn state wrestler here a couple of yeah. years ago. Well, miles Martin was every bit as good a wrestler, but you know, he got caught, you know, even earlier this year. So Sammy Sasso, who's number one in the country for Ohio state, 149 pounds got pinned in the Virginia tech duel. Uh, you know, guy catches him in the right position, locks it up and, and boom goes the dynamite. So in this case, you know, Caleb Romero is a guy I'm really high on. He is, he's improved quite a lot over the past year. And the thing that I'll say about Caleb though, I think Tom Ryan was quoted earlier in the se season as saying he doesn't have a hundred tricks in his bag. It's just that the tricks he has, he executes really, really well. So right. Caleb has just a, a, you know, a few kind of basic offensive moves that that he goes to really well he's got a killer blast double that i love um but mark hall's not a guy that's gonna get caught on a blast double a lot so you know you have to kind of expand your horizons a little bit when you're wrestling a guy like that and in a lot of these weight classes you'll have one two three guys who are really really hard to beat colin moore is one of those guys at 197 for example for ohio state and then there's a good bit of gap between you know maybe three and four and the rest of the class yeah. So, you know, you'll you'll look at um Luke Pletcher losing that match at 141. So Pletcher and Nick Lee both are really, really, really good. And then, you know, a couple spots down, there's gonna be a gap. So Pletcher's run wild over five of the top ten guys in the class. And then he runs up against Lee and it's a different beast, even though, you know, Nick that Luke was the number one guy in the country at that time. So it's just right. that that that's well, it's fascinating to watch because I noted that the last I think I watched the the Minnesota duel and I was like there is a like you just said there's a huge gap sometimes depending on the weight class between yeah. you know two or three and then five or six and it's it's wild to see that because you would see you know th these are the, some of the best wrestlers in the world and they just it is it's still incredible to watch 
how you can be at the top of your game best since you know you were a little kid and then some guy comes along and you're like i can't do anything about this yeah that's um right. however I and here's say, and here's the other thing i want to say too about yeah. you know caleb romero and his in his defense if there is such a thing you know he's he's now in his second year as a starter mark hall is a senior who you know has been at the top of the mountain for four years right, right. so there's Mark's Mark Hall's a guy and, and he, you know, there's times he drives me nuts. He's kind of a perfect heel. Um, I think for Ohio state, for Ohio state fans, uh, he just, he's, he's a cocky SOB when you watch him and, and, you know, Penn state fans love that about him because he sure. walks the walk, right? He, and Ohio state fans would love him if he were, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So, but here's a guy, he's, I mean, he's literally a three-time NCAA finalist. So he's been, one of the top two guys in the country, his entire career. So yeah, pretty good, you know, I, that's, and so I'm not too down on Caleb giving up. You never like to see your guy give up a pen, but he's still had a fantastic season. And I think right. it's going to, you know, do really well in the postseason for Ohio state. Ohio state needs him to get, you know, to get back on the horse. The challenge that you have for a guy like Romero or Ethan Smith, you know, giving up the major there to, to Joseph, um, in the 165 pound class. Cause now Ethan's kind of been on a, you know, an extended losing streak here. Cause he's been wrestling all more or less top five guys. Um, you know, there's a confidence thing that comes into play. I, Yogi Berra, what do we say? What, you know, half, half a baseball is 90% mental or something like yeah. whatever the, whatever the, the ridiculous <laughs> quote is. Right. I mean, wrestling's that way. Cause you'll have guy, you'll have two guys that are of, of, you know, similar capabilities, similar talent, similar strength. And the, you know, the guy who's got it going on between the years. And that's one thing Penn state really does well. And I think that's just a, you know, that's a Kale Sanderson thing. Uh, Kale right. Sanderson's maybe the greatest college wrestler of all time. Um, well, maybe it's not, maybe I'll just say it. He's probably the greatest college wrestler of all time. He's like one fifty nine and zero four NCAA titles, three Hodge trophies and a partridge in a pear tree. Kind of, kind of hard to argue against that. Yeah. So, so it, you know, kind of trickles down from him. Cause if you just look at him, you know, he's not a Tom brands freaking out all over the mat. You know, he's just a stone cold killer. Right. And, and I think his guys, you know, they, they feed off that to an extent cause they're all, you know, kind of cock of the walk, super confident guys. Yeah. Well, here's what I would say. So we, I think wrestling, you see a ton of that because there are those guys who are at the top. But I also think Ohio State fans are conditioned to really love underdog stories. Yeah. It's because it's because of football. It's because of Jim Trestle and Jim Trestle just exuded this air of like, I don't even know what we're doing, guys. Don't worry about it. We're just going to do our thing and it's going to be really ugly, but we're going to win anyway. And I think Ohio State fans love that idea. And I know, I know that people get super enamored with, yeah, we're the best and we get all cocky about it, but it's that weird Ohio thing where you can be really cocky about it with each other, but you don't want anybody else knowing it. So that's why I love, look, last time we checked in with Gary, Gary was, I believe, unranked. He is now up to 23 and will probably be higher than that because he just pulled off something pretty special, I think, to, at the very end of the of the meet. I think if you were outside of you know, Buckeye nation, maybe you didn't get the legend of gas tank Gary. So gas yeah. tank Gary Traub is, is a function of a few things. So he's a walk on who's, who's made good. People love that underdog story. Absolutely. He's, he's a heavyweight and heavyweights, um, you know, sometimes don't, don't get as much love because maybe the, the matches aren't as action packed as, 
um, you know, some of the lighter weight matches and, and some of the middleweight matches. Uh, so people, people like a heavyweight who actually can get some action going on the mat. And Gary is one who is willing to push the pace a little bit. The other thing that you'll see is heavyweights might get a little gassed at the end of matches. Cause you've got, you know, two, 250 plus pound guys out on the mat shoving each other around for seven minutes, you know, your stamina maybe isn't the same as say a Luke Pletcher at 141 or, or a guy that's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not nearly as, as large gas tank. Gary can go the distance every single yeah. match. His, that's why they gas tank. He's he, that's, and that's why he's called gas tank. Gary is because you at, at Cavelli center, uh, Ohio state's new home competition arena, early part of the season when he took over for the injured Chase Singletary, who was at that time ranked like number nine in the country, Gary comes in and people are like, Oh, okay. Ohio state's got this walk on heavyweight who never expected to be a starter. He's going to fill in and, and yay, we're going to, we're going to root for him. It's nice that he's winning some matches, but he wasn't beating top five, top 10 guys. He's just beating other, you know, kind of also rands in the big 10. Um, and, and then, you know, he started winning more and winning more. And I remember Shane Sparks of the Big Ten Network sitting in the press room after a duel in Cavelli saying, you know, I don't care who you be. You get your hand raised 15 or 16 times in a college season, you've done something right. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, Gary's people, <laughs> people started tweeting, you know, the, the pundits, hey, when are you cowards going to rank Gary Traub? And lo and behold, <laughs> Gary, you know, makes it into the top 20. This match is huge. Um, number 12, Seth Nevels for Penn State, because it was the last duel of a nationally televised match in, in at Penn State, 15,955 fans on hand, and we'll assume 15,500 of them were Penn State fans. Right. <laughs> and Gary, in the last match of the night, Penn State's already won the duel. You, you might expect Nevels to come here and just roll over. Because what's Ohio State fighting for at that point? The duel's already decided. Instead, Gary, you know, beats a guy who's not only ranked, you know, literally twice as high up the, the leaderboard, but two, has at least 40 pounds on Gary. Gary's a pretty light heavyweight. He's maybe two, I think he weighed in at like 223. Somebody said something like that. You know, so he's a really undersized heavyweight. Neville come, Neville's comes in, he's weighing at least 265. Gary not only beats him, Gary picks him up. He's got a high single. He picks him up off the ground and plants him into the mat, rattled the Bryce Jordan center to the foundation. And, and the not last only that, second, he, he did it like right at the end of the match. I mean, he did it when he absolutely had to, like this absolutely was not, had to have it. Yeah. If he, he had I mean, to he, have, he waits points. another five seconds to start that sequence. He doesn't win. He doesn't win the match. I mean, super right. smart wrestling on his part, because then he only had to ride Neville's out, you know, 10 seconds give or take, and he secures the win. It was huge. And, and this was that signature win because people, the knock on Gary, I would say from people who weren't already buying into his hype was that, well, he hadn't beaten anybody. He hadn't beaten anybody because yeah. he didn't have any wins over guys in say the top 15. Well, he's got one now and he's got it in the biggest environment, you know, huge stage. And I, I think he earned a lot of respect from people last night. We already loved him. You know, Gary, Gary's maybe my favorite guy on the team. Uh, because he's just, he's loving this, you know, he's, he's doing this for people everywhere who never thought they'd ever be wrestling in a nationally televised meet. I, right. I said at one time, like Gary's me, if I'd had any shred of, you know, athletic talent whatsoever, <laughs> he's every man, you know, he's you, he's me, he's right. doing it for, it's just all that lunch pail, blue collar, Aaron craft type stuff. 
We love mm-hmm. it. We love it. We love it's it. it's the greatest story. Gary's the best. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. And yes, the duel did not turn out the way Ohio State wanted. But uh, look, if you haven't read it yet, definitely read Andy's recap and and check out the video that's on there. That's fun as hell to watch. And and I, um, I got to say, I'm 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 going to kick in one other thing, Johnny, just because I. I give yeah, a really dude. hard time. I give a really hard time to Malik Heinzelman, um, who's Ohio State's lightweight at 125, and and I've been pretty critical of Malik because he's literally world class talent as a as a freestyle wrestler, and yeah. he's just been a barely better than 500 guy as a folk style wrestler, and 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 I think some fans more or less just assume that's a that's a given loss in any any kind of match. Ohio State went into this duel and it started at 125, and basically if Heinzelman didn't win that first match at 125 there was very little chance Ohio State was going to win the night because you just started looking at rankings and yeah. if you gave Ohio State all the matches where they had the higher ranked guy and if you gave Penn State all the matches where they had the higher ranked guy Ohio State had two matches 125 and 157 that they just simply had to win they were toss up matches so to speak uh, and Ohio State won both their toss-up matches. Heinzelman did a really nice job against Penn State's lightweight Brandon Meredith. Quinn Kenner at 157, you know, brought back a returning um, NCAA qualifier in Brady Berge, who'd been out this season off injury. But Quinn Kenner won that match as well. Um, so I'm going to give credit to both those guys because those were matches that the duel was still in question at the time those two men wrestled. You know, so they went into those matches assuming they were must wins for Ohio State, and they both did their jobs and won matches that they they weren't overranked guys or anything like that. But when Ohio State needed them, those two guys stepped up and did the deal, and I, I think they deserve a lot of a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely, and that's you know again that's one of those narratives that we talk about and we go through as the season goes on. And it's just you know it's it's one of those things that's really fun to keep track of and obviously that's you know good on them for getting that done even though the you know overall didn't work out the way they wanted to um another interesting underdog story that i think people like to follow is look i i I will tell you i've watched literally five minutes of the xfl i've watched matt mcgloin really get infuriated at his team and completely lose it and that's pretty much the only thing that i've watched but i cannot deny the appeal of cardale jones uh just tearing it up basically um and doing you know doing what he's got to do to just be really great um in the xfl i don't know man like ha- have you watched this guy like is is he the cardale jones that we remember yeah so here's here's where i am with this as a uh, as a loyal fan as i've admitted on the show um and thank you 11 warriors fans for not sending me super amounts of hate mail for for being a fan of the pittsburgh steelers um <laughs> I am on board. I'll go back to when, when Cardale was in the draft, I said then, and and I will hold to this day that the Pittsburgh Steelers should have drafted Cardale Jones and just put him behind big Ben and said, okay, learn everything you can because we're going to make you big Ben 2.0. I mean, I just look and say, you know, Jones has a cannon of an arm. He could run it when he needs to. He can truck stick guys when he needs to, uh, you know, big body, highly durable, can move around in the pocket, all those things that Ohio state fans loved about Cardale Jones. And so I'm going to restart the campaign to say Pittsburgh, bring Cardale (laughs) Jones to the steel city. If he, if he continues to perform, 
he might get a look. And right now he's tearing it up, and I think he's the face of the league. And, I, I mean, the XFL may not want to lose the dude if they want to continue to be relevant. But, yeah, right, right now he's looking really good. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he got another look from, like, the Steelers or someone else. <laughs> I made this comment on Twitter earlier um, in the weekend that that Pittsburgh needed to to bring bring our guy home to the Midwest and let's make this happen. And, and some friend texted me and he said, uh, I kind of cringe at the idea of, and this is a fellow Steelers fan, he says, I kind of cringe at the idea of handing the king the keys to the kingdom to to Cardale Jones. And I said, could it be any worse than Mason Rudolph? And he, right. and, and he, exactly. and he texted back, he said, fair point. There's literally nothing worse. Than, right. Than That's Mason exactly Rudolph. my point. Like, look, there, there have got to be some, yes, absolutely. There's no, no worse that you can do. And Cardale Jones would definitely be way better of a, you know, human being to, to be in that position, I think, than, uh, than Mason might be in general. So, um, okay. So, that's interesting. We're gonna keep following that, keep updating it. I promise I'll I'll try to watch an XFL game. But well, uh, apparently they should have just put the DC defenders somewhere in Ohio because yeah. what you've got uh Carnell, uh Tracy Sprinkle, I think's been lining up on defense, yep. and apparently um apparently DC is the only team with a defense, I guess, in the XFL. It seems like everybody else's <laughs> defense is apparently bad. Yeah. Uh, and then football, what Duran Grant's playing cornerback, I think for the defenders as well. So, I mean, they're practically the DC Buckeyes anyway. It kind of feels like, you know, New Orleans or Ohio. NFL. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's, like I said, that's awesome. We're going to keep track of that. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our dry goods store at drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, and more. And let's get into a little Ask Us Anything. We've got some interesting questions this week, and you can send us these questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast uh, on Twitter. This first one is from Ryan. Ryan wants to know, so basically he's been paying attention to recruiting for a while now. He says it's about 10, 15 years. He wants to know what are some uh, highly touted recruits that we really looked forward to, but did not live up to the hype. Some of the examples that he gives uh, are Rod Smith. A lot of people are saying he's going to be the next Beanie Wells, which I remember as well. Uh, Ray Small, who was the spring game all-star for several years running and then did very little and then went on to do a lot extra legally. Uh, Doran Bell, Etienne Sabino, Mike Andrea, a lot of, we got a, like a lot of linebackers, defensive guys. Um, he says Bobby Carpenter was kind of a bust. I, I disagree with that. I think Bobby Carpenter, yeah, really not good Ohio State. Come on. yeah, I think Bobby had a really good Ohio state, uh, career. And also my favorite sack, by the way, of all time of any Ohio state player, which was him sacking Drew Tate for, I think the fifth or sixth time in a game. And I believe 2005 and Drew Tate just spiking the ball out of frustration afterwards was freaking hilarious. Um, and then Mike Mitchell, which he says no one remembers or the one that no one mentions from Texas in 2013, destroyed the Nike spark test, tore up the rankings and then disappeared. Um, and he mentions that he does mention a lot of uh, linebackers there. Who Who is your dude? Who is yeah, the person so that super hyped, didn't live up to it? Uh, and you were disappointed by it. I didn't. I didn't uh, know the. I knew the question. I didn't know the the list that um, he included there. And so Mike Mitchell um, was absolutely the first guy that came to my mind. And and I okay. guess I, I guess I'll preface that by saying, you know, prior to kind of coming into the fold of eleven warriors, I didn't follow recruiting with the fiery passion of ten thousand burning suns that so many 
um, readers do and, and my hats off to people who, who really get into recruiting. I just have a hard time mustering a bunch of emotion for the whims of teenagers. Uh, I just, I just can't, <laughs> I, attitude to have, I, I can't do it. I mean, I, there's a part of me, the grumpy old man in me, um, still kind of longs for the day when you didn't need to know a kid's name until about the second year he was on the depth chart. <laughs> you sure. know? Like that was the, right. Uh, yeah, it was a different time, but when I started, so back to, you know, I kind of gave my origin story there earlier. I just remember Mike Mitchell being one of those guys that as I was following recruiting more through 11 warriors, and that's literally the only place I ever read about recruiting. It's like, wow, this dude's legit. Cause yeah, you went through, he tore up the spark deal. He just looked like, I mean, people were talking about what a freak show he was athletically, you know, just seemed to have all of the, the, the tools, um, you know, insert cliche here. I was like, yeah, this guy's going to be, you know, he's going to be the next big one, you know, I mean, the next, uh, I mean, Ohio state's linebacker, you, right. You know, look at yeah. all the great linebackers that have come through here. He, I got really excited about that kid. And then, you know, it just it fizzled and, 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 you know, I want to yeah. be, you know, considerate of, of, um, you know, the circumstances behind, why he left and I know there's some discussion about you know being close to home and family health and whatever 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 but that was one where it was like this is why I can't get jacked up about recruiting stuff because you never know if these kids are going to be the real deal or not the other one that I think kind of maybe solidified some of my grumpy old man feelings about recruiting was uh, Torrance Gibson because mm. that was another one where it's like oh my god this guy's the most hyped recruit in the history of overly hyped recruits and and I I guess I kind of went into it thinking the bigger the diva on the recruiting trail, like there's almost an inverse relationship to their actual production for the program. It seems like <laughs> the, the the ones well, who I enjoy the recruiting Pro process Pryor the most. Was probably the biggest diva of all, right? Uh, and he, you know, I think he had a pretty decent career. You know, although cynical back, but my comeback would be, yeah, and look at how it all ended, right? Well, so, that's true. I mean, you know, not that, <laughs> not not that I think the way it ended was. Uh, you know, fair and equitable given sure. how the NCAA has changed in the years it. since, but you know, it didn't end cleanly. So right. you could come back. The, the guy who I loved, you know, my favorite recruitment of all time is probably like Von Bell. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just, nobody knows what the H is going on. And, you know, day of, boom, here it is. Like, there you well, go. That's great. I mean, Tennessee almost burning down their entire state over that was pretty freaking <laughs> hilarious. There's another like, reason to love it. Okay, so I I got us derailed. Who who is your favorite bust of all time? No, I <laughs> I look, you know, I feel bad calling anybody a bust just because the circumstances are always goofy and you never know what's going to happen. But I really wanted Demario to just be the super Demario that we wanted. We had all these memes lined up. We wanted to. We really wanted to make Demario McCall like the dude we were at 11 warriors we were all ready to hype this guy up as much as possible but we're not going to do that unless we see production from someone and actually see them actually make an impact on the field and for a guy who was i think like the third rated player in his recruiting class uh for ohio state the third rated ohio state commit um you know highly touted all the measurables you could want just did not find a way to make an impact either as a receiver runner uh, or a returner really. And, and has uh, had some good games, has done some interesting things, but I was looking, I was really hoping for a guy who was going to be like a Percy Harvin type. And that didn't even come close to materializing. And that's really disappointing because as a person, as a human being, he's fantastic. 
Um, as a player, you just didn't have the production to go along with that. And that was just really frustrating. So side note, I, I think maybe we have finally gotten past the, the, era when people talked about the the percy harvin position or made the percy harvin comparison like you don't hear that as much as you did you're right you know three three four years ago because i just remember there was a time where i was like oh my god if i hear one more percy harvin comparison (laughs) because that was like the 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 in thing to do is like oh yeah who's going to be the the percy harvin position we're going to play the percy harvin roller like maybe what's the what's the overused comparison out there now hmm Oh, geez. I have, think, I, I have to think about that. Yeah, I think you could say maybe something like quarterback, like we want to be the next like Baker or something like that. And I've heard I've heard a number of people say like, OK, we're going to be the next dual threat guy who goes out and next Trevor Lawrence, things like that. Um, yeah. So I don't know that. Like I said, it's frustrating because, again, the, the person of Demario is hilarious, but uh, the production is not really what you wanted to see. Um, next great, question. Great here. question, by the way. Oh, yeah. Fantastic question. Fantastic question. Uh, next one here is from St. Louis Wookie. He wants to know, uh, why did Wiley E. Coyote never try the same trap more than once? He could learn <laughs> why it didn't work the first time and adjust to eventually catch the Roadrunner, right? Why didn't he adjust? Why didn't he contact Acme, figure out the instructions, get the you know actual like manual, and then do the thing the way you're supposed to do it? Why didn't he do it? I can only assume that Wiley had heard the adage that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different (laughs) results way too literally. (laughs) Well, it didn't work this time. Clearly I have to do something totally different the next time or or, or it's not going to happen. The other, the other thing I wonder about is just, you know, at what point, at what point did Wiley say, well, I know this isn't going to work out but if I stop doing this, what else is there? Who, you know, who it's am just, I? I just have to, there's an existential thing here going on with our guy, the coyote. And is it wrong that I was always pulling for Wiley? Is that? <laughs> no, it's not wrong at all. Okay. I, all right. You, you have to have Yeah. I, mean, I always thought the roadrunner was kind of a jerk, I guess, you know, it's all, meet, meet this though. and meet, meet that. Yeah. And I want to tell you something. This is, I, I have a whole whole ass dissertation that I can give you about this. This is why I don't like Tom and Jerry because they're both turds. I don't like them, but with the Warner brothers, you have a little Hanna Barbera. Everybody's kind of a jerk with the Warner Brothers stuff. You kind of root for one of the people. Like they're not always the best person. Like Bugs Bunny, sarcastic and Daffy Duck's crazy and all that other stuff. But you kind of like root for them a little bit, even when they're being jerks. And that makes it easier to like get into the, the emotions that you need when you see a guy riding an acme rocket right into the side of a uh, wall face, I guess. Um, I think Wiley Coyote is actually a metaphor for the, um, I don't, I can't remember the term for it, but basically like really wealthy people don't actually have to do anything. Capturing the Roadrunner is not his like need. It's his hobby. It's just something that he does for fun. So he is an incredible, he's obviously an incredibly wealthy coyote, uh, and he's just spending whatever money he can on these these fun side hobbies. Yes, he gets thrown off cliffs and blown up and things like that. But he's clearly a very durable cat. So I'm just saying, this is this is his sideshow. This isn't his main gig. He's just doing it on the weekends to like you know see if he eventually gets the Roadrunner. In the meantime, he gets the light off rockets and you know ride on you know rocket powered roller skates and just a lot of rocket related things. So he's kind of the Elon Musk, I think, 
of uh, of roadrunner catching. And, so, and maybe he'll one day accomplish that. I, don't know. I mean, there's something to be said. I was reading an article or, you know, there's been sort of a backlash. The idle, against cl- the idle rich is the word I'm trying to use. Well, Sorry. well, there's been a backlash against climbing Mount Everest, you know, I, yeah. I guess over the past year or so, because it costs you know, quite a lot to actually make the climb. So it's the province of the idle rich, so to speak, or, or the upwardly mobile. And uh, people leave their poo all over the mountain and that's, that's bad. Right. And they're, you know, how many ever hundred dead bodies up there. Right. And so that's bad. And uh, the poor Sherpas, you know, it's like, you know, we're exploiting them and that's bad and so on and so forth. Maybe, maybe what we're really saying here is that capturing the roadrunner is, is Wiley's Mount Everest. Yes, that's right. That's what I'm saying. And he just he's willing to spend whatever it takes to eventually do it, but he's not too upset if it doesn't happen. Um, so there you go. That's that's your answer. I hope that satisfies you. Uh, but if not, send us another question. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, last one here. This is from our good friend Alvin, and we'll kind of take it back to the beginning here. Uh, what is our turning prediction for Ohio State this season? Um, and with that prediction, do they meet expectations starting at the beginning of the season? I mean, I think you framed it up pretty well. You know, you get you got to get out of the first round, yeah. Um, and you know, for me, you make it, you make it into the make it into the round, second round of the tournament, uh, and you don't embarrass yourself in whatever that game is. <laughs> like I'm not even <laughs> saying you have to win it, right? So sure. because sometimes you just lose ball games. Yeah. How did you look in? How did you look in the loss? So that right. that's what I want to see because I think that's the thing with this team is that when they're on, they've been really good. And then you talked about earlier, the dumb mistakes they make and the, why did you pass the ball there? And you know, whatnot, the fact that there is ball handling, just some of that stuff. Uh, You you know, I, I want to see what they look like against the other thing I I'm kind of holding on to here at the end is that, you know, maybe they're not as bad as we thought they were down the stretch. Maybe the big 10 is really just that good. And that's what I want to find out. That's what I want to find out in the tournament season is when, these teams start playing other people right what do they look like yeah and, and it could be it could be the big 10 has been vastly overrated too i mean i think yeah, maybe that, yeah and i'll also say that i think college the college basketball community as a whole i almost feel is starting to trend to that notion that the big 10 is actually a little bit overrated because if you look at some of the ratings for example of where big 10 teams are they don't seem to be gutting them a lot of slack for losing these interconference games against each other um, which is fine. I don't think, I mean, you're going to, you're going to find out in March madness, but I'll be interested to see how many teams actually get in because people were predicting you know, 10, 11 teams. I don't know that that's going to happen, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. So to answer Alvin's question, I, I think this is an interesting one because if you asked me at the very beginning of the season, I would give you the same answer as I would now, which is yeah. Get to the second game. Don't embarrass yourself. Basically what you just said, Andy, However, if you had asked me this question at the beginning of December, I'm like, all right, well, you got to get at least to the lead eight because clearly that's what this team is capable of. Clearly, that's not what we're really thinking about right now. Uh, but it's just fan- it's fascinating how much expectations can change over the course of just a few months. And now that, you know, now they're starting to get up on a little upward trajectory right now. And that's fun. But who knows, you know, you win or you lose three of your last your next four or something like that, or five of your last six, however many games are left. Um, that might change your perspective on things. So I, I agree with you, Andy. I, I think get to the second game. Don't embarrass yourself. Hopefully win, get to the next weekend. But if you don't, I don't think I'd be too salty about it. So we'll see what happens. And, and that's, you know, again, the Iowa game is huge. 
I think, just to gauge where the team is at as a whole. And we'll be back next week to to break that down and, and hopefully gloat a little bit about how awesome this team suddenly is, because that would be pretty great. So, um, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time.